Hi, everyone. So welcome back to Resourceful Humans. This is Corey Haber, your host, and I am here with Terrence Neal and Ingrid Thorpe today. And we're going to discuss uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion today. Uh, obviously, that's a topic that is could last way more than an hour. So we're just going to touch on a few you know, key points. If the both of you could introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, that would be great. Terry, you want to go first? Ingrid, you go first. No, no, no. Terry, you go. Sure. So, hello, everyone. My name is Terry Nell. I'm the Vice President for Human Resources at the New York Public Library. Um, I've been in human resources for now, just hit 27 years, actually. Um, and so, a large part of my job, obviously, is, is managing a dynamic team of human resources professionals, a team of, I think, just over 20. Um, colleagues that I have here. Of course, a number of different areas, recruitment, um, learning and development, compensation, benefits, people analytics, HRIS, employee relations, labor relations, um, and my newest addition to the department, which is diversity, equity, inclusion, and access, um, which is a department that, a function that I decided I wanted to build out within my department about two or three years ago when I, when I initially took over human resources as the vice president. Um, prior to that, I was responsible for labor relations and talent acquisition. Um, and so when stepping into this role as a VP, one of the things, particularly when we're talking in the past two or three years, one of the things that quickly became um, a priority for, for me um, in a 125 year old organization that I cared dearly about was making sure that we had the DIA function um, something that was actually going to be meaningful and have an impact on the organization, the culture, the 2,000 plus employees that work here um, that spend most of their adult life or their awake life, I should say, here at the library. Um, and so DEIA, and we're, that's the topic we're going to talk about, um, covers a number of different factions and, and areas just in, about, just in about everything we do from an HR perspective. Um, in an organizational perspective. And so it's important that, that this conversation is critical. It's, there's never a wrong time or a late period of time to have this conversation. I think um, it's something that it's, needs to be on top of mind for everyone all the time. Ingrid? I agree. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, thank you. Uh, so I'm Ingrid Thorpe. I'm a business strategist. I specialize in human capital management. And my subcategories are organizational development, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I am, would describe myself as a really driven person to uh, bring perspective on the value of diversity and activating inclusion. So, uh, and that it doesn't matter where you are. I think it's really important to um, bring that forth in every community uh, where you intersect. And I, uh, I have my own business, it's called Thorpe. And um, this is what I do. I've been in a diversity and inclusion space since 1995. So I'm totally aging myself and I don't care about it. I got into it. Um, as just one of the uh, the assignees uh, for a company I was working with at, right out of college. And it uh, changed my life being in this space uh, and seeing the evolution over time has uh, really been incredible for me to uh, the point where, um, as Corey knows, uh, in May, I will be uh, starting my, uh, my teaching with SHRM on the Inclusive Workplace Culture uh, Credential Program. And that is, I feel like the culmination of everything that I've worked towards. And that is beyond getting myself, uh, you know, into this space and not only working with corporations, working with small businesses, startups, uh, FinTech, uh, financial services, professional uh, development organizations. So it's, it's been a, a lifelong journey for me. And, uh, and so I'm just really, I'm thrilled to be here because this is just an added uh, feature of 
what I'm dedicated to and what I'm committed to, which is really ensuring the business community is representative of the collective diversity at large so that there is a safe and welcoming environment for the intersectional diversity that exists today and um, moving it forward. Well, I am so glad that both of you could be on here. And I, I really wanted the two of you because you're both so passionate about this topic and it really comes through when you talk about it as well. Uh, and I, and one thing that we brought that kind of came up when we chatted before is how diversity is not just numbers. And that's kind of where I think we should start. Cause I think that's a huge misconception that a lot of people have is that diversity just means numbers. That's it. So Terry, you want to, you want to take us off on your, you know, how you feel about that? Sure. I think, I think anyone who, who um, recalls having to do affirmative action plans um, um, way back when, and, you know, one of the key things with an affirmative action plan, it was really, it was a, a full report. Those of you who don't know what an affirmative action plan, it was a full report commissioned by the Office of Federal Contract and Compliance um, federal government agency. And the idea was if you were doing work for the federal government grant, some sort of, if you generated any sort of income from the federal government, you had to put together an affirmative action plan. And it really was a, a, a full binder of all of these different reports. And it was numbers based, you know, how many hires have you made that were diverse, both from a race perspective, as well as a gender perspective, um, how many promotions, what the salaries were, so on and so forth. It was purely based on numbers and you came up with these targets or quotas, whatever they wanted to call them at that point in time. And I think when when that's, when when people were doing affirmative action plans, one of the things was um, in order to be diverse, it was solely based off numbers. As long as I met this target or even more so, as long as I made a good faith effort to meet that target, I didn't even have to meet the target, I was diverse. I was meeting the guide, the, the, the requirements of the affirmative action plan. And so for, so for so long, many companies, I feel they've had this idea of, and leaders within companies, they've had this idea that in order to be diverse, it's purely about numbers. How many females do I have? How many members of the, the BIPOC community? How many members of the LGBTQ plus community, the, the, the disabled persons community? Um, and I think one of the things that we've realized over the course of time particularly in more recent years, is that diversity is not just about numbers. And quite frankly, it's, it's less about numbers. Um, when I think about diversity, um, equity, inclusion, and access, or even just DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, from my perspective and in my mind, one of the most important things that we often forget about um, and leaders often forget about is that whole concept of equity and inclusion. Because I feel like you can... You can hire any of us that in our HR and, and many of us are skilled HR professionals. We can go out and we can hire all of the people of a certain type of um, protected characteristic that we want, right? We may have some challenges depending on where you are geographically, but you can definitely go out and hire them. The question and the key, the challenge is how do you retain them? How do you make them, make them feel like they are valued, like they are included, they are respected once you get them on your side of the door? And that's where so many companies fail in terms of thinking about a whole the, the, the full scope of a DEIA function and strategy that the numbers is not saying that they're not important. Absolutely, we should have a, a workforce that is reflective of either the city that we're in or the customers that we serve or whatever it may be, our mission, our vision. But a huge part of that time and effort and resources need to be spent on how do we make sure that once we get those folks, once we retain, we attract them and we acquire them, um, how do we keep them here? And, oh, and that's yes. looking at a number of different things from you know, the culture to the simplest thing, uh, the, the most simplest thing of like just making sure when they're, you bring them to a meeting that you are giving them the opportunity to speak up in the meeting and they're not just there for show. I could not agree more with you, Terry. I, I'm just nodding along because yes, yes, yes. Ticking all the boxes. How do we get, the, I think the questions that we're, we are now, the, um, 
and the questions that we're asking is, how far have we evolved if we have evolved? And um, if so, who's doing it right and who isn't? Where there's like approximately, you know, of all the Fortune 500s, there's like seven, more than 75% or closer to 80% that are declaring DEI initiatives, yet according to Deloitte, about 12% actually meet inclusive workplace uh, practices. And so that's really telling just those numbers. I mean, there were, I think it was like 3000 global companies that they surveyed to get these numbers and everyone's talking about inclusion, inclusion, uh, inclusive recruiting, diverse recruiting uh, for any category is a priority. And to Terry's point, it's all been performative up until this point. And I think one of the issues or, or reasons is that folks haven't really been educated about the, the historical context of this evolution of DNI or DEI, DEIB, DEIA, all of the new words that are being added at the end. Uh, I think it's really important to note you know, the history, if people don't know that homogeneity was the goal from the 50s to the 70s, they're not going to begin to understand, oh, only uh, predominantly white males were uh, expected to be successful in business. And because of laws and because of uh, government contract work that mandated that these numbers be moved somehow, it became performative. And that's where performative has stayed. And that's where most organizations have stayed in terms of, to Terry's point, it's been reporting, report, report, report. Well, you can report all day long, but if you're having um, revolving doors of key talent, just it's like it, talent is, is, is running through people, through organizations like, you know, sand through someone's hand. It, you're losing the opportunity of really developing talent in your industry, in your business lines, in your units, as well as planning for succession. So you're going to spend however much time training someone so that they can go and be a benefit to maybe your competition because they're better aligned or prepared to welcome them in and make them feel included and make them feel as if they belong, which I think is more where the conversation is going these days is how, you know, when it comes to retention, how do we retain good employees. And that is, well, how are you making them feel? Because people will tell you, and surveys have demonstrated year over year, that people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses, they leave coworkers. they, you know, it's how they're made to feel. And so for so long without if, if folks don't, don't really sit with themselves as an organization and really have that honest, confessional, as I like to call it, about where they sit in relationship to a variety of groups and what they what they're experiencing in terms of unconscious bias. I will absolutely plug the Harvard um, implicit um, bias. Thank you. Uh, Yes, it's free and you can access and it will help you to measure it offers you the opportunity to measure, I think it's like 27 uh, different categories, how you feel about race, gender, ethnicity, religion, you name it, they've, they've found an assessment. And because they are so personalized, recognizing, oh, I might be a young person taking this or someone who's an emerging professional, and all of a sudden I take the one on age discrimination and I find, oh, wow, I'm really biased against people who are older than I am. Well, that's great, but what are you going to do with it afterwards, right? Let's have these honest conversations. How do you move the needle forward in terms of, one, acknowledging where you sit in the conversation, two, acknowledging what you can be doing to improve and really examining why you have this this unconscious bias, and then also what can you do to unlearn these bad teachings, if you will. So, you know, Ingrid, I think you make a good point because I feel like, I mean, this is a top, like, <laughs> this whole thing of, of just diversity and inclusion and, and retention of diverse employees. 
And we also have to remember, I, I feel like that's a conversation we could have all day, every day, right? There's a couple of points I wanna make. First and foremost, when we start thinking about diverse employees, I think one thing that, that and, and right now the spotlight is on race, right? Whether it's um, um, black and white, just pure black and white, whether it's obviously now the, the Asian community and the, the horrific um, situations that they're going through and, and the hate crimes that they're having to endure. But when we start talking about diversity, we have to remember that it is more than just race. Like it, diversity covers so many different dimensions. Some things are, are very visible to the naked eye. Other things are not. And they only, they only, you only, you only learn about somebody's diversity through conversation, right? That's one thing. And so just, let's just start thinking more broader in a broader sense when we start talking about diversity. The other thing is, um, you mentioned, you know, the, 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 the IAT test and trainings and such. And I think we have to, to and even the, the metrics that we run, the reports that we run in terms of where we're at in terms of shared numbers that, that mentioned at the start of this conversation. And it's not to say that you can't have metrics, you can't have reports, but make sure that they are meaningful reports, right? And even just, even looking at the training that we do, that organizations do, we do the training, it's a one and done, many times it's a check the box type of thing, but then how do you actually measure what the behavioral change is? Um, because that's a report that we could run and we could present to whomever, the board, this leader, senior leadership, whatever. And that report is just as valuable as how many, how many, males or females have I hired in the past 12 months? That report is actually more valuable. And so I think looking at those, those types of things, when you do training, when you do these IAT tests, when you have these, these cultural-based programs, actually taking a step back to measure what the behavioral, if there were behavioral changes um, within the leaders or whoever was trained, um, you know, what were the metrics, we, what were we trying to accomplish? Did we accomplish that? What were some of the learnings throughout that? and really start to put those measurements down on paper or a PowerPoint presentation or whatever that you're gonna to do to, to present to, to your, your, whoever your audience is. And then the final thing, and then I'll shut up so that you can talk. Um, the final thing is, <laughs> is um, the idea that um, we, we, these change, the, the, how do you understand how do you get to a point where you're creating an inclusive environment? How do you get to a point where you're hearing what people are feeling? Like that first step is creating that space where people feel comfortable sharing. Mm -hmm. And so just asking like the four of the three of us right now could be in a room or in a Zoom call and we can all just remain quiet. But there's a space here where we feel comfortable talking. That doesn't happen all the time. And, and so my question is, I mean, I personally feel like from what I've experienced that the hardest part for HR is the, is inclusion because it's not just you that control it. It's, all, it's the employees and the environment and you can't really control how everyone is gonna, you know, act or towards one another. I mean, so how, how do you suggest that someone in HR go about trying to work on the inclusion side of things in their business? Yeah, uh, inclusion is, it's one of those little elusive things. You know, we talk about it, but it really is, it, it's the act of intentionally creating a safe space, a space of belonging, um, a, a space where folks can engage. And I think it just takes a certain sense of self and strength of character to say, I'm going to create this group very much like Corey, the way that you started this podcast to say, I'm doing this to create a safe space where HR professionals can come and talk about different topics, learn a thing or two and uh, challenge themselves, challenge one another, and also better understand uh, the different things that HR professionals are experiencing across the country. Right. And I think that that in and of itself is an incredible act. And one that I encourage everyone to do, I think that, you know, when, when you have 
when you have experience, you know, you've put in your length of service in whatever organization, you can develop some, some um, reputational collateral for being that, that person that will stand up, the person that, you know, being open to hearing when people point something out, like, oh, I don't know, was that really the right word? Was that, is that the intention? Was that what you meant to say? You know, questioning things that come up, mm-hmm. um, you know, being a, a being a upstander, as they call them sometimes, it's that person who, who's willing to put themselves on the line a little bit to say, hey, I don't think that that's, you know, obviously given the, the, the environment, it can be, you know, hey, a private conversation or a chat or a text to say, is that what you meant? Uh, you know, you may want to consider how something you said or did came across. So I think that it's, uh, it's also, a lot of it has to do with the relationships. Like Terry said, you know, unless you know someone, you may not want to say anything. Um, unless you have a good, open working relationship where you can talk about things. Um, in, but that also has to do with the, the cultural environment right. that has been created. And so at what point does a business owner say, hey, you know, we all want to show up, live our best lives, live our best lives at work, uh, be the best professional that we can be. And in order to do that, we also have to be open to receiving um, critical feedback, or as I like to call it, feed forward, because, you know, you're going to give me something that's going to propel me to be better. So if we could change it from feedback to feed forward, it maybe it, it has a more positive connotation that people would be willing to offer it, as well as asking someone if they are open to some insights. And if they are, they'll let you know. And if they are not, they will also let you know. And, you know, it's, it's a matter of how are we owning how we are showing up, I think is really, I have found that that's where the work happens when an individual can say, oh, I'm completely, I'm perfectly imperfect on so many levels and I want to learn and I want to be better and I'm willing to put myself out there and say to every person that they come across, if I say or do something that offends you, please let me know. I'm working on being better. And I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but just in my opinion, a lot of what I, I like what you said about people, you know, have some people have the confidence or want to stand up and say something. But I think a lot of those people are ones that have education on certain topics. And I kind of feel like the way you're going to get a lot more of your workplace or your employees to stand up and, you know, not, and not feel a um, unconscious bias towards certain others is to make sure they're well-educated. Like for example, I mean, the reason I speak up when someone might have a disability that someone doesn't understand and they make comments about is because I do. And so I'm educated and I understand like what it's like to have epilepsy and how you can't see it. And, and like, I had a, I had a business, unfortunately, that didn't want to work with me to do their benefits because uh, they were nervous that I would have a seizure when I was talking to an employee. But in that situation alone, if that business owner had just had proper education on just disabilities in general, I think that that situation wouldn't have happened. Absolutely. And um, thank you for bringing that up because I don't know that folks know this, but um, for uh, particularly HR folks, that the Sherm Foundation has partnered with like um, Psych Armor and NBC Universal and a slew of other organizations to create certifications that they offer for free so that folks can get educated about abilities at work, veterans at work, and second chance hiring. Three under tapped or untapped pools of talent 
that are in our communities. And it is a way to inform folks about just what you said. It And absolutely, I completely understand. And I think also destigmatizing things is really important component um, because I suffer from diabetes and um, sometimes it takes a minute to get going in the morning, you know? So it's, you know, depending on how open somebody is going to be about what their invisible disability is, is going to really help inform other people. Oh, this person, you know, maybe just needs a little bit extra time. And so it's, um, or needs support or encouragement. You know, there are different ways of addressing different needs, but being patient, it's uh, really important to uh, be mindful and patient of everyone that you work with the same way that you want folks to be mindful and patient and accepting of you. And I think that's sometimes, um, you know, the golden rule <laughs> goes out the window. Sometimes we get so busy working on the work or being in the business that, um, you know, we're short with one another and, and do all these things that actually exclude each other. Can I, I just say, um, I think one of the things, and I was, I was listening to a conversation a few weeks ago, um, and I was, I was so tempted to, to dive into it, and then I held back, because uh, I was afraid I would say the wrong thing. And so, <laughs> so one of the things, like there, Corey, you asked, you had started asking a question about HR, and yeah. the role that they play, and I feel like, in my mind, everybody who is, who is responsible for somebody in the organization, whatever organization. So everybody who's a people manager, and quite frankly, everyone has a role to play from an HR perspective when it comes to DEIA. I don't think it's on the shoulders of, of solely sits on the shoulders of human resources or a chief diversity officer or whatever. I think everybody has a role to play um, because it is a cultural shift. We are breaking down systems that have been in place for hundreds of years, truthfully, right? That's true. Um, and I think, you know, I've been listening to a lot of conversations lately and people are saying, well, HR is failing at this. It, like HR needs to step up and HR needs more oversight because they're just, they're, 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 they're just poor at managing these types of situations. And then it dawned on me um, right now because people put so much, rightfully so, um, they put so much emphasis on HR because because HR is this overbodying, um, you know, department within an organization that is the be all end all. And the reality is one of the things I started to think about in this, as I was listening to this conversation is, you know, the systems, first of all, if we really go back to, to the evolution of HR, HR was built um, on a premise of primarily white men. And the policies, the protocols, some of which are still in existence, they've evolved over time because we got them modernized, are still based off of that foundation. And yes, the face of HR has shifted, not greatly, um, somewhat it has shifted. The numbers are still skewed in terms of the number of minorities um, in HR versus the number of, of white people in HR. And so I think when, when people say, um, HR has a huge responsibility and HR needs to step up and they're failing at this. Like it, it, we have to take it all the way back to the systems that were originally created. And yeah. it's hard to place it now that, and I, and I, and this is my, I guess, bias coming through at this point. Right? <laughs> well, people say, because I'm, I'm a black man and I'm in charge of HR and I've been in HR for 27 years and I've had some great mentors of all races that have brought me up in this world, in this profession. But when people start to say, it's, it's HR's fault, it's HR's responsibility. And I automatically think, because many of my colleagues in HR do look like me. And I feel like, wow, the pressure is, all of a sudden, like the pressure has shifted to, to the, the, the BIPOC folks in HR <laughs> to fix this. Absolutely. It, right? And, and yes. it was created <laughs> by this BIPOC community. 
so that's just, I put that out there in terms of when you ask that question, the role of HR, because I think it's it's like I said, there's some there are some systemic issues that really need to be broken down. We almost need to start from scratch. Right. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why I say we got to go back to the beginning. We have to understand the history of HR, the evolution of HR and the evolution and history of um, the workplace, as well as um, the diversity and inclusion initiatives from, you know, that were being pushed down from a government's perspective to now is being uh, basically embraced by the Fortune 500s because being diverse as uh, Deloitte has pointed out year over year, uh, diverse companies are more productive, more innovative, and uh, are higher performers and have lower turnover. So who doesn't want that? And if, if it means um, kind of, um, you know, pulling yourself up and owning and figuring out what is it that we're, we're doing or not doing, but to Terry's point, inclusion, belonging, uh, diversity, equity, everything, everyone is responsible for it. And the, um, I think in one of the, the last uh, Deloitte uh, manifestos, if you will, uh, they, they put it out there. It is everyone's responsibility. It is leaders, it is managers, it is employees. If, if only a percentage of folks are buying in and actively engaging in diverse practices for identifying talent, nurturing talent, sponsoring talent, promoting talent, and creating succession plans around talent. Uh, those are the ones that are succeeding. And until companies overall, including leadership, management, and employees, till everyone takes a bit of the ownership of, hey, how am I showing up? Hey, what am I doing? Am I uplifting people? Am I helping my colleagues? Am I asking for the help and support that I need in order to be successful? You know, what, what personal responsibility? And to Terry's point, when the good happens, it's the company wins, right? Everybody's winning. When the bad happens, what did HR not do? Yeah, we've just been through like the hardest year for anyone in HR. Some of the things that folks don't even contemplate about what HR professionals have had to um, really (sighs) deal with in the last year has been death of employees in every corner of the world, Uh, families that now have lost their, maybe their primary, maybe their only source of income. There are so many things that HR professionals, particularly those in benefits, compensation, they have brought the the weight of what we've experienced with businesses shuttering, with furloughs, managing, looking to maintain, keep people on the payroll. Um, You talk about a Herculean effort. HR has really been put to the test and still folks wonder why HR hasn't done enough. Um, (laughs) It's just, it's, it's been a really trying year to say the least, but I think it's also important to recognize that as I've said this forever, and that is HR professionals are change agents. We have been tasked with building business cases for initiatives, supporting documentation, actually implementing, selecting a a good team to support initiatives for rollouts. HR professionals are the epitome of project managers. And folks don't give HR professionals the credit that they really deserve because oftentimes HR in many organizations is a department of one or two or three. It's, you know, unless you're working in a large corporation, do you have entire departments dedicated, you know, to 40 or 50,000 employees? 
most businesses are not that big. And so oftentimes, no matter how, it, what's going on, what's being impacting it in the world or what, how the business is being impacted, the HR professionals have to maintain decorum, professionalism, empathy, and do the best that they can. Sorry, don't, Terry, it's off to you. <laughs> it's just, I feel for my HR professionals and I don't think that folks give them the credit that they're really due. You're right about that. So I, I feel like, um, you know, in the space of, of DEIA, I feel like one of the things that we all have to remember is there's a, it's a lot, right? This, this does not happen overnight. Um, I think there are some real challenges that different organizations face. Um, I think the whole idea of, of showing up, um, which I'll take it, I'll use a different phrase. It, it's about interrupting bias um, in real time, which, you know, we can, Ingrid, you and I can, and, and as well as you, Corey, we can, you know, come up with all of these theories or what should happen all day, every day. The question of how is important. And I feel like that's what that's what people struggle with. Like they know I have to do, they know I have to interrupt bias. Everybody knows I have to interrupt bias. Everybody knows I have to show up. Everybody knows I need to be inclusive. But that question of how do I do it? Um, and I think people are, are often looking for that magic bullet, um, that recipe that you can just Google and say, okay, this is how I do it, um, step by step. And you know, and I will come out with a perfect cake at the end of it, but that's just not reality when you start talking about DEIA, because number one, you're talking about people. Number two, you're talking about behaviors. Right. Um, and so the how, but the how is one of the hows is, is and I said it before, is just start talking about it openly and honestly. And, and that can come in the form of, of you know, just, the easiest thing is, is questions, just asking people, um, you know, what's on their mind? How can we do better? And being, and, and you know, what can we do better? So on and so forth. But then actually listening to what's being said, engaging in that dialogue. And it's not just a one, you know, one hour session where, okay, this person has given me all of the things that I need to do. Like we have to keep coming back to this topic of, of DEIA, we need to keep coming back to this topic of cultural shift and what's going on and looking at our policies and our protocols and you know whether it's how people are hired, promoted, fired, raises, why certain decisions are made, whatever it may be. And, and creating that, once you create that space of open and honest dialogue and people do get tired of talking about it. So it's it's two parts, it's first creating that open space of, of for for honest dialogue, honest and transparent dialogue, but actually coming up with some action items that you can implement and setting expectations as to how we implement them. I think one of the things we often, we, we, we do wrong so many times is like we try to get to that finish line before the, the, the you know, the, the triggers even pulled to say go. Um, and not realizing that it does take time to, to make these, these shifts. And so you have to prioritize, okay, what am I going to focus on? Because I'm going to do it damn good. And so what am I going to focus on over the next six months, nine months? But making sure that you're transparent with your organization to let them know what it is you're exactly focusing on, what are you hoping the end results will be, what are the measurements going to be, so on and so forth. And then what is the next step after that? Otherwise, in the absence of information, particularly around DEI, people start to fill in their own information. And that's where companies start to lose credibility because they haven't communicated what's next. They said, we're gonna do this laundry list of things. We all do it. We all absolutely do it. We come up with a laundry list of things. Yeah. Um, knowing that we have to be realistic because we all have a day job and this is a day job for many people, but life is going to get in the way, business is going to get in the way. And so once we start to break those pieces up and not, not set people's expectations 
so high that the moment you miss something, you're called on the carpet for it. Like at a certain point, that's not fair to anyone. So right. that's when we start talking about the how, when we're talking about, you know, how we deal with diverse, how we deal with reten retention of diverse employees, inclusion, you know, availability, all of these things. It's, it really is, you start with the conversation, you go to some, create some action plans. Some of them are gonna be low hanging fruit. That is, you know, a stroke of the pen to take care of. Other things are gonna have a longer life to it. Um, you figure out who you need to be a part of that action plan. Like it, it's, it's and, and you have to be very, uh, one of my mentors uses the word um, surgical. I love that word. You have to be very surgical about who are going to be part of that action plan, who's going to help execute it. And, and a, a big newsflash that I've even learned in recent months is um, it's not so much that you always need, um, it's not so much that you always need diverse people in that work group because a large part of that work is educating people. And one of the things that I've quickly learned is many members of the, 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 um, the BIPOC community, the LGBTQ community, the, the, the disabled persons community, um, they wanna be a part of that work, but they don't wanna be responsible for educating somebody on how they need to treat me. Right. You should have to educate, you, you need to, to, to put your foot forward. You need to put some skin in the game. You need to learn how to educate yourself. We can educate each other. That is one for the books, for sure. That is one of the best recommendations, absolutely. And you're right, Terry, you're 100% right. There are so many people from these, um, you know, what are what are we calling them, you know, these days, untapped um, markets or underserved markets, you know. I don't even know what margin, I, Exactly. <laughs> it's just, you know, diverse people, right? And you're right. There are tons of folks, though, that ha are happy to benefit from the work of others, right? right. So I think that's why I, I agree with you. I think education is absolutely key. And I think that webinars, lunch and learns through ERGs at different organizations are a great opportunity for people to address the how. Get to how do you get to know somebody? Open your mind, you know. Open your mind, and then I, I forget. Is it? Um, it was en vogue, right? Free your mind, and the rest will follow. Yeah, uh, absolutely, and it's true. And until you start doing that kind of work to explore where you sit in any of these conversations around LGBT. I remember, you know, as, as a member of the LGBT community, I remember meeting somebody who said, oh, thank God for people like you who do the work. And, uh, you know, I don't have to come out or I, I just show up. And it's like, you're welcome. But, you know, we could use more hands in this work, you know, in terms of acceptance and visibility and support. It, it's, there are so many folks from every single category that um, have participants like that, that are like, oh, you know what? I'll let you, you, you know, you got that. You don't need me. No, we need more voices because every single one of us has our own personal lived experience. One from which everyone can learn and appreciate and so I think that there there is missed opportunity for getting to know folks I know for me coming from a multi-ethnic um, you know interfaith family it's the more you know the more you can appreciate who people are where they're coming from and begin to understand a different point of view and so engaging in this work is for me I think it's natural just because of who I am and how and where I was raised and so it's um it's really challenging when you know I get that oh I don't have to worry because you know you're do you're doing it and it's like what if I don't do it anymore so what does that mean that you won't take up the baton you know to get folks everyone's happy to 
point the finger at, and they're good with pointing the finger. They're really, really good at pointing the finger of what, what those who came before them have not done, but they're less good at what are they doing? How are they contributing? And so I always like to challenge, well, show me up then, do more, do better, show me what I might have missed out on, uh, you know, or overlooked. But I think, uh, I think Terry said it earlier, it is everyone's responsibility when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, access, belonging, because we do make people feel either included or excluded. Kind of, you know, it's split, right? Yeah. Either, you know, you made us feel really welcome. Like when we first met, we were just like, what? Right. We, we already had our own <laughs> private uh, podcast. But it, and so I think that's what makes it so much easier for us to have a chat today because we're comfortable, one, in our own skins, but also to um, have different points of view in the same space is really important, is really valuable. And I think that sometimes that's lost on folks. You know, I, I, I think that folks oftentimes listen to respond. They don't yeah. listen to understand. And you, uh, oh, sorry, I just want to point out real quick, like Ingrid, what you brought up is a pretty good point as far as like, same thing with the podcast. And I don't know if everyone's aware of this, but on all of the podcast episodes I do, the two people have never met before for the most part. So, so like Terry and Ingrid had never met and I introduced them via Zoom. And then I think everyone seems to feel comfortable because they have that common denominator. You're both here to talk about a topic you're both very well educated on and you are passionate about, which is, you know, I think a good example as to how you can help employees in the workplace feel included, whether that even if they're totally different people. But, uh, go ahead, Terry. Yeah. No, I was, I mean, I just want to say because you said you're very well educated on this topic. And I, and I think for me, um, and not being humble, I don't think I'm well educated on this topic because I think there's so much for me to learn. Um, and so while I talk from a place of, of interest, maybe even a place of confidence, like there is so much, so much to learn and I'm open to learning it. Right. And so, and so whether it's, it's, um, you know, it, 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 it's about any aspect of diversity, equity, inclusion, it's about a particular culture. Um, it's about a particular segment of, of a protected character, a protected class, um, all of those types of things. I think when right. you, when you, in this space, like, I don't know that there are, we often get into this habit of calling people experts, um, yes. right? you're an expert in this, you're an expert in that, and or subject matter expert. And the reality is life happens too quick for anyone to be expert at anything. Like they have to keep evolving. They have to keep being open to learning. And right. when you start talking about, particularly employees within an organization and, and DEI, like if you ask that question, you know, what is your definition of DEI? You're going to get a million and one different responses from people. Some people have no idea what it is. Okay. Right. We can start there. Some people have a, a kind of sort of good idea of what it is. Some people have just, you know, listened to social media or whatever, or read a few books on that. And the luxury, the, the, the beauty of all that is it's different perspectives, right? right. We start to no learn right or wrong. from each other. Exactly. Yeah. We start to learn from each other. And so that goes back to, to what I was saying, a different thought, which is you have to be in this place of, um, one of the things I've learned, um, you have to be in this place of discomfort in order to truly, truly learn. These right. conversations around around DEIA um, are very sensitive. Like people are concerned, and I, 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 one of the things I did two or three, three years ago now, maybe four years ago, was I launched these converse, these dialogues in the in the library here. And it was really around at the time where every week a, a, a black man was being killed at the hands of law enforcement. And I felt like I needed to create a space for people to talk, just come in and talk, right? The mm -hmm. room considered Las Vegas, whatever was said in that room, stayed in that room. But it was creating that place of, of comfort and discomfort for folks 
at the same time. And so when you create those spaces and, and they are sensitive and people are going to, somebody is going to be offended. That's not the goal. That's not the intent, but that is the impact. Somebody's going to be offended. Somebody's going to have their feelings hurt. Somebody is not going to talk because they're embarrassed about their history or their culture or their upbringing or their thought processes. But the more and more you, you create these spaces, the more and more you have these conversations, people do start to open up. And it's not about, I'm trying to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm trying to say that you're a, a closet racist or a closet bigot or anything like that. Not at all. We're going to learn from each other. I have to respect how you feel. Right. You're going to respect how I feel. But once we start to learn about each other and create this openness, then we are starting to move in the right direction. That's what I mean. It's, it's, it, you do this one brick at a time. You cannot this up. Rome was, this type of Rome was not built in a day. Absolutely not. Well, and these conversations are going to happen whether you create a safe space for them or not. So you're better off kind of designating or making, creating that comfortable environment because they're going to happen no matter what. All right. Absolutely. You two are, are 100% right. I, I think uh, I, I like the expression productive discomfort uh, to address what, uh, Terry, what you were, were saying. Um, I think it is, that's where the work happens. If somebody isn't challenging you uh, or you're not challenging yourself uh, to reconsider how you think about things or what you think about things or people or situations, if you don't consider alternative uh, points of view, you're actually doing yourself a disservice because you're missing out on learning. Right. One thing I, w I really want to talk about that you two brought up on our little chat prior to this is the difference between real and fake inclusion. Because I thought that was very interesting. Um, I think, Ingrid, are you frozen? I am frozen. Okay, well, we can hear you, so that's good. Yeah, we can hear you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why every... Oops, she went out. Yeah. Yikes. It's okay, we can still hear you. Okay. This is part of the virtual world. <laughs> it is, right? Yes. You talk about finding grace in, in uh, you know, low system resources. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. Well, it's okay because we, we want to hear your opinion. So as long as we can hear you, that's the best. Okay. Um, in terms of uh, re inclusion, I'm going to leave it in the space of um, it's checking the boxes versus actually checking the space. So there are a lot of folks that, like Terry mentioned early on when he was talking about the, um, the government contract mandates that required X percentage of populations working with them needed X percentage of included in, in the mix. I think that that's just really telling of where we've gone from. Did they do a good job now is more, uh, it's like if they didn't do a good job, why did they not do a good job? Did they not get the proper training, the proper instructions, the proper support? And I think that's kind of where we're working these days is really exploring how to be supportive of folks that uh, are being brought into different spaces. Right. And I think real inclusion is considering others. Yeah. I'll just pick up from, from where she left off, where Ingrid left off. Um, it is about real, real inclusion is about considering others. Um, and I agree with her checking the box versus checking the space. That makes, I love that, that, that concept. Um, but we need to put that into an example, I feel like, right? And yeah. so 
I think when, when you, what do I consider real versus fake inclusion? I, I consider fake inclusion when um, we have to, we're creating a work team or we're creating, uh, we're, out, we're sourcing a new vendor for something. Um, and we, we have in our mind and we purposely say, okay, gotta make sure that I have a, a white person, a black person, a gay person, um, a member of this community, a member of that community. The fact that you have to think that and it doesn't come naturally is concerning for me. And I consider that fake inclusion because that is checking the box. I gotta make sure that this fits the mold so that I'm not, I don't get called out on social media um, or my internet or at the water cooler by my, by my organization. That real inclusion is when it's ingrained in you and it comes more naturally that, you know what, I got a work team that I'm going to put together. It's, a, I'm, it's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I'm going to pick people um, to serve on this work team. I know they're going to be diverse because that's how I think, no matter what. Whereas I don't have to, I don't have to use a certain part of my brain to make sure that I'm, I'm meeting the mark. Right. For the sole purpose of not getting, not, not wanting to get called out or blasted by, by my team, my organization, my employees in the organization. Um, I consider that. I think one of the other things is, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was looking at a, a flyer that somebody did today and, and it was for a program. And the organization, the vendor had the pictures, the, their stock photos were, were not diverse at all. Um, and so they gave it to us and they're like, okay, here's the flyer. And one of my team members pulled it out and was like, this is not representative of our organization. And so they came back and they swapped out the pictures. Like that is fake inclusion. Right, that because is. That not have been the case. And that's where learning about who your audience is and, and meeting them and showing up becomes super important. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it really, and Ingrid's back, good. There we go. I, I think it kind of, to me, like listening in on the two of you, I mean, fake inclusion, I mean, fake inclusion and it, it's a lot of just what you can see, you know, does it look like we have diversity? you know, and, and that's, that's not diversity. That's not inclusion whatsoever. It's just a picture. So right. Right. Ingrid, you're back. I'm glad you made it back. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry about that guys. Um, okay. but yeah, no, I, I think that, um, that's a, a perfect depiction of the difference between fake inclusion and, um, and real inclusion. I think folks want to feel like they're part of something. And if they don't feel safe to speak up, they don't feel that psychological safety uh, to, to say anything, then they're going to continue to feel left out and they may end up leaving no matter how talented they are. And I think Again, we, we keep going over it. And I think it's really important to note that inclusion is everyone's responsibility. Right. Everyone is responsible because we are all, we play a role in how our colleagues are meant to feel. You know, we can make people feel good about being part of the team. We can also make them feel really bad about being part of the team by excluding them just leaving them off of an email exchange, you know, having a private Zoom without them, you know, oh, yeah. and then finding out, you know, finding out that somebody had a happy hour and that, you know, oh, there was the one team member who didn't get invited or wasn't included. And then they find out about it. And it's like, how do you think that's going to make them feel? Or a holiday party. Or a holiday party. Yes. Yeah. You know, that happens a lot. It does. Absolutely. Celebrating people's wins, even if somebody is, you know, 
uh, let's just say somebody decides that they're going to leave the organization, just celebrating the fact that you had the opportunity to work with them instead of just being like, okay, bye, see you. Right. What is that? And so I, I do think that that's probably the key to beginning the how do we get inclusive uh, or inclusion to start happening and activating? How do we do that? Well, let's start thinking about how it is that we're treating our colleagues. How are we making them feel? How are we supporting them? Are we offering support to them? We, you know, and, and the same at the same time, I think also asking, asking for help is also important and asking for that feed forward. You know, could I have been, you know, did I miss something on that call or in that meeting? Um, is there any feedback that you could give me about my agenda presentation, my fill in the blank? Um, right. you know, being open to receiving that, um, those critical notes and, and, and then implementing them. Yeah. It well, and I, I hate that we have run out of time, but I knew that this would be a really <laughs> hard topic to do in one hour and I'm sure we'll need to do another like part. So, um, but I think this was great and I, there's so much more <laughs> that can be discussed, but any last comments or words that you guys want to, you know, put out there into this, in regards to this topic? So the, the, the one thing, my parting words would be um, with respect to this topic, we are at a point in time where this is, this has always been super important, but it's, there is no time that has been more important than whether it's this past year or even these past five years, in some cases, the past 50 or 60 years where this topic has been so important to yeah. the workplace, right? Um, it is a journey and it is a long journey and some people will step off of that journey other people will step on you got to create those spaces for that to happen those opportunities for that to happen but the idea is that um, you're going to hit some bumps in the road the idea is that not everything is going to be a success some things are going to going to make some mistakes in this space absolutely you're going to make some mistakes um, but you have to keep that open mind with these things. You have to keep that space for open dialogue. You have to, to not be afraid to ask questions of your workforce. What do they need? How do they feel about the organization? Um, I think that, that power, um, one of my colleagues here that works for me, he, he taught me a few years ago about this power of questions and the fact that you get more out of asking questions than just exerting what you have on your mind. Right. And so that just engaging in a conversation with a person and asking questions and then taking a step back or a seat back and just listening with intent to what they say and also what they don't say will go a long way as you shift this culture and you try to incorporate um, a DEIA culture or structure with a DIA structure within your organization. It is a culture shift without a doubt, but it's one that is well worth it at the end of the day. It is, and I mean, to me, this, it's almost like a when you get a, assigned a group project in, in high school, <laughs> and then there's, there's those groups where one person says they're gonna do everything for everyone because they want it to be the best project and get an A, there are the groups that work on it all together as a team. And that kind of goes back to lots of what you've discussed in this whole conversation. I mean, it it's, can't just be one person trying to get that A grade for everybody. It's, it's not a reflection of everyone's um, effort and energy, I think. Yeah, I, I think um, my, my parting words would be, listen to understand don't, don't be afraid to um, open up a book, learn a thing or two. And to Terry's point, continue to ask questions. If you don't know the answer, ask. Because there are people who have the answer and they're just waiting for somebody to 
ping them and say, hey, do you know how to do this? And they're ready for you. And they will give you the history and they will help you to move forward. I think it is important to continue uh, to work together in as a collaborative environment as you can create, uh, things being what they are. And I think also um, not being afraid um, to come and check out my course. <laughs> uh, so shameless plug for my um, inclusive workplace uh, credential uh, program starting May 10th. I don't know if this is going to come out before then, but it will uh, be out before then. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. 10 dimensions of creating an inclusive workplace um, environment or culture. And it is um, quite informed. So that's where my head's at right now, simply because I've seen those environments where when folks own that they don't know what they don't know mm -hmm. and start asking questions, they grow exponentially and it actually enhances a group dynamics and experience because it opens up the conversation for sharing information. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was great. The both of you are really appreciate Corey. your time. You're very welcome.